you end up heating your life up and getting 80, 85, 90, 95, 100 degrees of money, and you've not worked on that internal thermostat, how you feel about you, you will find a way, if it's guilt, if it's stupidity, if it's um, blind dumbness, you will give away that money to get your life back down to 75 degrees of money again. This is Entrepreneurs The Playbook, where I give you access each week to the world's greatest athletes and executives about their personal and professional playbook and what has made them champions on and off the field. This is The Playbook. This is Dave Meltzer, CEO of Sports One Marketing, and I am here with Entrepreneur The Playbook. I have to say that this may be my new best friend, you. and I'm hoping you accept me as this, but this is Ed Milet. <laughs> uh, I feel the same way, brother. Uh, thank you. We yeah. got to talk one time on the phone before yeah. we arranged this, yeah. and I just had this great, so I. I, I don't want to seem weird about it, but yeah. it was like that girl when you called and were like, Oh my God, you know, I get to go on a date with her. No, it's true. When we got and off the phone, I, I was in this room. I told my wife, I said, I think I just met a lifelong friend. I swear to you, I said that to her right when we hung up the phone. It's probably because of past lives we've been friends. You're probably right. Our, our history is so much the same. In fact, I'd like to start there. Sure. Um, this is called The Playbook. You grew up in similar circumstances. Uh, you were in Boston, I believe, when you I grew did. up in yep. modest surroundings. Super modest, yeah. My, uh, I probably come from lower middle class, which is not a great place to come from. I always <laughs> say, I think sometimes there's an advantage. It's an odd thing to say, but I always say, if you grew up really super poor, I think one of the advantages, there's tons of deficiencies, one of the advantages is you know what you don't want, right? There's this desire to get out of it. And then I think if you grew up affluent, there's some negatives to that, but at least you're exposed to the behaviors and habits and thoughts of people that are successful. Relationship capital. That Relationship helps. capital, <laughs> certainly a big deal, which I had neither of. And so I'm kind of from the middle bottom, which I think a lot of times people get stuck in that place because we've always thought of this good as sort of the enemy of great. It was just pretty good. But I learned enough about being there from my family that I knew I didn't want to stay there. But my dad was a good model, role model that way. But I come from a dysfunctional family. Do you yeah. think everyone's family is dysfunctional? Yes, I do. And I think everybody that, it's funny that you say that, but I've been saying this lately, everybody thinks everyone else's family's perfect. There's some dysfunction in almost everyone's family, right? Please. Mine was alcohol and drug abuse in my family, but there's something in everyone's family that's just broken or the energy's disconnected or something in almost every single family. It's interesting you say that because I have a younger brother that went to Harvard, graduated summa cum laude, wow. extraordinary academic and intellect. Yeah. But at one time, my parents were divorced young. Yeah. He came to me really upset. He goes, aren't you bothered by how dysfunctional our family is? Mm. And I'm thinking, dude, you're so smart, but yet so stupid. Huh. Like, how can you not see yeah. that everybody's family yes. is screwed up and yeah. that's what makes it so great? That is what makes it great. You know, but I'll be honest with you, I'm kind of like your brother in the sense that I didn't start to figure that out until I got a little bit older. Okay. I had a little, sh I don't know, maybe people relate to this. I, there's almost some shame with coming from the kind of family I came from. Like, it was... I'd go to school every day thinking, man, I wonder if anybody has a, any idea how embarrassing my family is and how screwed up we are in there. And so I think I carried a little of that in my insecurities. And you talk about things getting sewed into your DNA. Yeah, I love yeah, how yeah. you talk about that. I think insecurity kind of got sewed because when you have an alcoholic dad, you're insecure. Is he coming home tonight? Which version of him's coming home tonight, right? Yeah. I should say in my dad's defense, he's my best friend now. He's been sober for many, I many, many years, but it wasn't that way when I was young. My, my dad had a disease as well. He's a compulsive gambler. Okay. And so, and that's part of the reason he left when I was young. And But yeah, he became my, he just passed last year, but he became one of my best friends. Wonderful. Because I learned to understand him. Yeah. How did you deal with the shame? Because I think everyone as a kid is embarrassed of something. Yes. And for me, it was being poor. Yeah. My mom, she did us a nice thing by putting us, because she was a teacher, yeah. she put us in a neighborhood. We always lived in the, excuse my language, the shittiest yeah. house, yeah. you know, apartment with 
two bedrooms with six kids, things like that, a yeah. Ford Granada that barely ran. Yeah. You know, I, I used to have her uh, drop me off a block away from school, wow. you know, yeah. but I was, a, I was ashamed. How yeah. did you deal with the shame of, yeah. and it is embarrassing yeah. when your parents have deficiencies. Such an interesting question. I think, because uh, I really was ashamed too. Uh, my, I don't know that I was ever a kid, to be honest with you. My family, maybe some people can relate to this. My dad would, I was the man of the house when I was very young. I had three younger sisters. My dad, even kind of when he knew he'd go on one of these benches, like, you take care of your mom and your sisters. You oh, know? Well, he knew about it. He knew. So it was like, you take care of them. You're the man of the house, you know? And so I think I acted out probably out of ego. That's where a lot of guys establish their ego, especially young men. Mine was sports. I was going to be a great athlete. I was going to prove to you how great I was because of where I came from was so screwed up. And so I think I dealt with the shame with aggression. That's cool. For you me. Know, Reggie Bush was like that. Is that so, right? Yeah, Reggie Bush wanted to prove... That's what I asked him, why are you such a great athlete? Because yeah. he wanted to prove that he was better than his father. Well, I'll tell you about Reggie Bush. I went to the yeah. Notre Dame SC game. Remember that, the push game? Yeah, yeah. In my life, of any sporting event I've ever been to, that was the one athlete superior to everybody else on any field court I've ever watched in my life was Reggie Bush compared to everybody else on that football field. That's interesting. What a gifted athlete, man. Yeah, Bo Jackson would be my answer oh, to that question. I, I never saw him live, but yeah, I imagine that's I, true. I was blessed. The guy who played in front of me in college, Vance Miller okay. uh, at Occidental, was the only Division Three player ever to play a uh, skill position in the NFL. And no he played kidding. for eight years for the Raiders behind Bo Jackson. Okay. And so I got to stand on the sideline, and he turned the corner. And I'll tell you, Reggie Bush can fly around a corner. Yeah. But Bo Jackson, oh my god. And carrying 30 more pounds, too, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> I, I think genetically, um, and you're yeah. very well built, yeah. that somehow Bo Jackson, something happened. So do I. That his muscles like we're and that's why I got hurt right his yeah. own structure couldn't handle the ATP that he, like the strength you're yeah. right the only other guy I've ever seen like that since we're talking sports is Herschel Walker right it's the only other guy that thought genetically this guy's musculature is put together different than most humans you know yeah. Bo had those huge quads and, and yeah. just so much strength well yeah. anyway uh, <laughs> we, <laughs> we can talk all day about this that. is the playbook yeah, right. so we got sports <laughs> no I love it so yeah. you know here you are now trying to prove yourself yeah where, where did your life take the big move, the, the big change? Through the worst uh, failure, ironically, through the seeds of the worst failure. So I played college baseball, I got drafted to play professionally. That did not work out for a variety of reasons. And I ended up, I was ego driven, very much about me, recognition, significance. And I ended up moving back home with my mom and dad, same bedroom, teddy bear in the bed, posters on the wall from high school, unemployed, <laughs> like really screwed 22 up. 22 years old? 22 years old, exactly. And my dad was then getting sober. He's going to those meetings you go to. Yep. Comes home from one of the meetings, my dad's sort of a dude, you know, man's man, and he goes, I got you a job. It's tomorrow, you show up, it's called McKinley Home for Boys, it's in San Dimas. What is it? He said, I don't know what it is, it's some home. And my life altered, I didn't know it, so I go down there the next morning, the Reader's Digest version, I said, hey, I'm Eddie Milet, I'm here for the job. And what McKinley is, is it's a campus of group homes, like hundreds of boys, all wards of the court, orphaned, or most of my boys were removed from their family because of molestation. And I show up there, I said, I'm here for the job. They say, what job? I said, I don't have any idea. They're like, what, what, who's, Who hiring, <laughs> who's hiring you? I'm like, I don't know. Uh, Tim, Tim what? No idea. So they go, well, come back when you know. And I start to turn around to the door and I go, well, I know Tim's probably an alcoholic. They go, oh, Tim, the drunk, yeah, we know Tim. <laughs> so they go, you're at Cottage 8, right? I go to Cottage 8 and I walk in and that morning they're all getting ready for school and I see these 10 boys, these little eyes. I recognize those eyes because I think children that come from poverty or abuse of some type, you have them, by the way. Yeah. They have, <laughs> As I'm joking, how does he tell me? They right? have different eyes, brother. Yeah. And so I have those eyes. Yeah. And so we know. And so I walked in, and I, man, I get emotional, but yeah. I walked in with these little guys, and they're just 
what they're really looking at is like, hey man, love me. They're hard dudes, man. They'll kick your butt, right? It's love me. And I had these 20 eyes looking at me, seven to 10 year old boys. And instantly I lived with them. I became their father, their brother, and it altered my life. Because what happened in that moment is this macho athlete, I found out, oh my God, what I really love is serving people, is making a difference, is loving and caring about people, is, is investing in them. And like my whole life altered those two years because I fell in love with serving others, making a difference for other people. My whole identity changed. And that's the time when my business came along at the same time. I honestly think had my business life come, the business I ended up in come at the time when I was playing baseball, I'd have blown it out with ego. But because I had this time where it just alt literally altered me, and the rest of my life I've just tried to serve and give, I've kind of let the results take care of themselves, and that altered my whole life. So that was for sure the most uh, life-changing time of my life was in my 20s. And now, you've been very successful as an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. Have you always been successful? <laughs> you just said the word entrepreneur and always successful. So <laughs> Thank you. Know you. Right. Listen to him. So, so, I try to tell everybody right. this. <laughs> Nobody listens to me. I haven't met one entrepreneur that's like, oh yeah, everything I have ever done works. Come on, bro. And they're lying if right. they're telling Well, you they're that. not an entrepreneur. They inherited that's something. Or, exactly. I don't know. Right. Mostly inherited. Right. Because if, you, if you're an entrepreneur, you have not always been successful, right? So From Steve Jobs down. All the way. And so I've had successes. And then I'll go backwards. So like most entrepreneurs, there's false start after false start after false start. So I would get it going, then it would go backwards. I'd save some money, then I'd blow it. You know, my business would grow, then it would shrink. And then, so no, I've had, I've had tons of different financial events happen in my life. And actually, actually, after people thought I was pretty successful, I'd become a millionaire. About 26 years old, I'd become a millionaire. I was making a million dollars a year, and I ended up losing it all. And it ended up, I lost a home, I lost a car, I ended up moving into an apartment. I was newly married, and I'll never forget this. I remember, because this ocean's out there, we're looking at it right now, and yeah. I remember, honestly, defining moment. You, I had everything turned off. You can have power turned off and still survive. One thing I learned, you don't want your water turned off. And we had the water cut off. Oh. So I'm- Which is your newlywed. My newlywed, six weeks married. We She's still with you? She's still with me. She's floating around here somewhere. That's it, man. Yeah. That's, She's with me. We got so much in common. I know we do. Both That's high school great. and the same thing <laughs> yeah. with, our, with, our, with our wives. And long story short, we had to go every morning out of the apartment, go down to the pool, and shower outdoors. And you bring our toothbrush. It was just shameful for me. You know, I remember that. It was the same shame feeling as going to school after my dad had come home a certain way. It took me yeah. all the way back there again, you know? And so that time was the most down. And now, even to this day, I love the ocean. I'm grateful every day. Like, and it's the thing I'm very grateful for. But there are many mornings, man, I'll be honest with you, honestly, little moments, I'll pull that trigger on the shower and that water comes out and I'm like, thank you. Like, just thank you. I'm so grateful just for that. It's odd. It's like a trigger in me. The water hits me. I'm like, oh, everything's okay. So you said thank you. And I know you're a big gratitude person. I am. Like I am. Yeah. And I think one of the cool things in my life, and my wife points this out to me, is that I can still get excited about like staying in a hotel room. Me too. Right? You know, me like too. I still appreciate it. Me too. And you know, even I fly private. Yep. But right? I know you have your own plane even. I do. Yeah. And you know, I'm more a lease guy, That's so I, I got smarter. all the memberships. Probably smart. <laughs> but you know, people laugh at me. Like even we were in mm -hmm. South by Southwest last night, and we got five yeah. of us, and like so day flying private back. It was a late night flight. Yeah. And I had to get back by 1.30. Yeah, dude, to and be they're here. like, nope, Southwest, and you might be in the middle seat. Yep, yep. And I'm okay with that. I did that last week. I'm okay with it, too. I'm grateful that I have the money for the plane ticket still. Right. It's, odd, it's odd how um, small things, I love big things. I love having my jet, but it's, I make sure that I'm grateful for what most people would think are small things, and I really am. Like, I'm, I had some health issues when I was younger with my heart. I am grateful many mornings I wake up. My day starts with gratitude. I'm awake many, many mornings. Yeah. And so that's a centerpiece of my life. It's sort of 
it's odd because I have all these things in my head from when I was a kid. Like at, gratitude is sort of the antidote for everything not good in my life. It's I think it's antidote. antidote for everything. I got an interesting question. Yeah. You 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 are of service like me, and you mm-hmm. I could see in your eyes as you mm-hmm. choked up and your mm-hmm. eyes got yeah. watered t- working with the boys. Yeah. W- one of the things that I was searching for my first run at the money. Yeah. You know, we were both in our twenties. Yep. Was when when you're deep into that entrepreneurship, how did you fulfill or I think sometimes you even rationalize, you know, that entrepreneurial capitalistic, I'm making a million a year, mm-hmm. but I just left these 20 boys. Yep. I, I, no one's ever asked me that. You know that of all the interviews I've done, no one's asked <laughs> me that, brother. And I didn't do well with it. I felt guilty. I felt shame about it. And, um, and here's how I fixed it. I fixed it by deciding that I was going to give back to that place and to other kids in that situation for the rest of my life. And I started to use the income I was making. I did figure out, making six bucks an hour back in the day working there, <laughs> I did figure out I could probably never have children of my own and raise them in any condition if I was there. So by the way, six of those boys are still very close to me. Two of them are very, very close to me from when I was there. And so I, I, I've always gone back, and you do this too, gratitude is the antidote to everything negative and serving and giving are the things that always make me happy. And so I was beating myself up. But the day I left there, Mike, it was, that was the hardest day of my life. I've had people close to me pass away. And those days were easier than the day I left my boys that day. I, I can't even talk about it because I think about that day even now, right? Like, yeah. So I didn't deal with it well. I dealt with it by deciding I was going to give to that cause and give to children the rest of my life. And so that's what I've tried to do. Have you ever, one of the difficulties that I had when I made a lot of money was that my mom made $17,000 a year. Mm-hmm. And in, in one year, I made almost $10 million awesome. in my 20s. Awesome. Which everyone wow. says awesome. But yeah. I, my personal energy, mm-hmm. I, and I know I, I gave so much away mm-hmm. and I just was silly with it yeah. be, because I almost felt so much guilt. Yeah. And not even guilt, just I had an energy that I wasn't worthy. Worthy. Like I wasn't the real deal. Yeah. And I still was so scared yeah. that I couldn't make, but yet I was like, get this away from me. I'm yes. going to buy a house, I'm going to buy a plane, I'm going to buy a car. Yep. Do you ever feel that worthiness Every, issue? Everybody does. And so that's your yes. Okay. Yes. And that's your identity, right? That's this internal identity that you have. And it's like, I talk about this all the time. I'm sure you've heard me talk about it. But your identity, the way you feel about yourself, your self-worth is like a thermostat. It's sitting on the wall. It sets the temperature for your entire life. So you set that thermostat. If it's money, let's just say 75 degrees of money. If you end up heating your life up and getting 80, 85, 90, 95, 100 degrees of money, and you've not worked on that internal thermostat, how you feel about you, you will find a way, if it's guilt, if it's stupidity, if it's um, blind dumbness, you will give away that money to get your life back down to 75 degrees of money again. And so the governor in your life is this internal thermostat you have. That could be in your happiness, your money, your business, your peace, your fitness, your energy level. There's an identity in you. It's a thermostat. And so the other happens too. You get really broke like you did before and I did. We find a way to cool it back up again, turn the air conditioner on of life and get us back to where we're comfortable. So for me, the key in my life is not just gratitude, it's not just serving, but for me, it's this internal thermostat always increasing the temperature that I'm comfortable with. Do you think that thermostat could be equated to what I talk about, your core energy, your DNA? It is your energy. Yeah, it's an energy. You and I, if we really dig beneath the thermostat, yeah. behind that is energy. Absolutely. Uh, yes. Can I steal that analogy? It's that yours as long as I can use the energy credit. part. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll give you credit. Yeah, it's all yours. But yeah. I, I will tell you, I yeah. get to do this all the time. Yeah. And really crazy minds like Dennis Rodman and yeah. you know genius minds of yeah. CEOs. But and then small minds like mine. No. <laughs> no, it's no, true. I know you were complimenting <laughs> before about what you know we did together in, yeah. in the conversation and yeah. podcast, but like. 
Wow, that's what I have to say. I Thank love you. that. Like some Thank things you. people say just yeah. hit me. Like yeah. I just learned something about myself that I've been questioning. Like how does that whole thing work? And sometimes, yeah. you know, people know things, yes. but they don't know how to articulate them. Correct. And one of the things that I talk about, and I see you're the same character. Yeah. And I think Tony Robbins, who's one of your best friends, yeah. Yeah. is this guy. Yeah. I'm a transcoder. And okay. let me explain What's that. that so I can take highly complex vibrating issues mm. and transcode it down to a load of vibration. Yep. And I think part of my experience as a sports agent was that there's all these complex life issues, business issues, money issues. Yes. And my job was to take some of these players with an eighth grade education. You got and it. And worse, their parents. Yes. Like I think you mentioned your yep. parents were yep. highly educated. Yep. Yes. And I and because I grew up in the hood and yep. I'm able to transcode things so people like Oh shit! Yeah, a yeah. thermometer. Yeah, right. Instead of yeah. this whole, you have DNA and right. there's electrical current yeah. going through, and your subconscious, <laughs> right. unconscious, all that bullshit I've been throwing at you. Right. It's just a thermometer. It's, a, it's thermostat. That's all it is. By the way, <laughs> I love. I'm a steel decoder from you too, because, and that's how I am too. I, not that I have a small mind, because I think I have access to a limitless mind, right? right? And so, but I, I am a guy who I can only operate in very simple instructions myself, and so I love complicated things. I love to read. I understand energy. I understand vibration like you and I both do. But for me, I gotta transfer it down. And I just, it's sad for me when I watch people that they work on all the external things. I'm a better speaker, I'm a better communicator, I've got a better business model, I've got a better scaling of my business. And they don't work on this thermostat and I'm just waiting for the time where they cool life back down again. I watch it. It's why you watch someone who loses a lot of weight. Yep. The weight, 250 pounds, all of a sudden you see them again, they're at 180. But internally, their thermostat is still a 250-pound person. You see them in a year and a half, and they're back up where they were again. They found a way to heat it back up again. And so that happens all the time in people's lives. Okay, you said a really important word that you and I haven't talked about yet, which changed my life. Mm -hmm. You said, I access yes. that information. Correct. Yeah. Tell me about your perspective of accessing information. Wow, that's, that's a long conversation. But the simple thing for me is that I believe everything has a vibration. And so everything has an energy, right? And so that I have, without getting too complicated, I have to quiet myself because when I get quiet, I vibrate at a higher frequency. And so that I can tap into, see the same thought, the same energy that made this ocean, that made the world, that made you and I, I have access to that limitless, absolutely perfect thinking in mind. And so the only way that I get that is by getting out of my own way, getting out of my own space, getting out of my own junk, and so I access it for me by getting quiet. The key to my life is that in the morning, and I do it in the morning, it's nice now that I can do it with the ocean here, I also live on a lake, is I just, it doesn't take a long time, I just take 20 minutes and I access it and I get quiet. And the only way I can access it is to get out of my head. And so I quiet and empty my mind and I access the universe, that's what I do. And I think it's really important because access to me is essential because the universe is vibrating faster. And one of the things they, we have these four beautiful children you know, yeah. what are you empowering with them? And I said, the ability to access information, mm. partly through meditation, but mm -hmm. some of them are too young to get in. Sure. And, and I don't push, right. but you resist persists. But mm. let me give you some examples. Yeah. I would prefer my kids to know how to get the answer than know the answer. Me too. And, and it's different than our generation because there wasn't as much access to information. Boy. So you had to memorize things, yes. know how to do it on a piece of paper. I yes. think you're, you're wasting your time the biggest skill set you can give children today is how do I access? access? And there's a big Google out there that most people don't understand. The best search engine. I work for West Publishing. We created the natural search language. Ooh, I love where you're going oh, right, right now. I love there's where you're going. There's a big Google. There's a big Google. And I know yeah. great vibrators yeah. understand this, that yeah. we can access through meditation, yeah. through peace and quiet. You got it.
all the information of the past. That's right. The present. And I know this will blow you away, and I mm -hmm. believe this. The future. So do I. I know that's true. And that's I've, awareness? I've, I've had it happen enough times in my life, and that's awareness. I love this, not to jump in, but like that's I have to please, acknowledge. Please, it's all you. I, I have to acknowledge that you're right about that. And I also, I think the most important thing is a knowing that you have this access. And so there's this place most people come from, which is scarcity, and that begins by thinking you don't know or don't have access. Just that thought alone, just that energy alone is blocking you. I always start from a place, I've worked on it, I start from a place of knowing I can access it. Now it's a matter of just getting it. And so I don't ever wonder whether I can, it's a matter of whether I can get quiet enough and do it. Right, which means, there's a layup for you. Okay. There's only one thing standing in your way between you and that which you want. What is that for you? I'm curious. It's yourself. Well, it's for me. It's me. It's yeah, always me. me. It's always it's me. Always the, it's always the noise that I create. It's absolutely always me. The illusions that we create. Yep. And by the way, one thing I just give a tip to everybody to do, and I don't care if you're religious or non-religious, it doesn't matter to me on this regard. The best way to do that, and I know you talk about it a lot, but I just want to second it because I'm on your show about this, is that um, you will only know you and access this by getting quiet with you. And you have to remember this, no matter what you do in life, people think, well, I'm going to be happy when I get to a certain place. My dad even told me this as a kid. He was going, just remember, when you get there, you're bringing you with you. No matter where you go, you're bringing you with you, right? And so I started to figure it out. It's like, you know what? That is who goes with me everywhere I go, so I ought to get to know this dude a little bit. And I only got to know this dude. This, this dude and this dude is not an alcoholic son. This dude's not some insecure guy. This dude, I'm not any of those things. I'm a spiritual being. I can tap into this energy at any time that I want. And the more I know that, the more I get quiet, and the more I do it, the more I get confidence I can do it. It's interesting because both of our dads had their challenges, but yet mm -hmm. they give these words of wisdom. Sure. And people get confused because we are energy guys, we're mm -hmm. abundant, we're philanthropists, mm -hmm. humanitarians, yep. but we're also capitalists. Absolutely. We like to make a lot of money. You know it. My dad gave me some of the best advice. My, my dad hurt my feelings when I was little because he forgot my birthday. Oh and then what he did to, and, and we were divorced, so mm -hmm. I was 10 years old. Mm -hmm. And then every year after that, he told me that he didn't believe in the birthdays. So he refused to acknowledge my birthday, give me it. gifts, because mm -hmm. right, that's the, the disease he had, yeah. right? Same kind of OCD. Yeah. So then on my 30th birthday, after I started understanding. It's already coming on your face. Right, he, he, <laughs> he brings me a jacket, a suit coat, and it fit me perfectly. So I knew he took the time to ask my siblings or my yeah. someone what size I was. Yeah. And it was beautiful. And so I put on this sport coat yeah. and I look in and the MFR had torn out all the pockets. And I'm thinking, he is a sadistic father. Like this is the, he remember, I was about to cry. He remembered my birthday. Yeah. Why would he screw up this awesome jacket? Okay. So I said, dad, I go, thank you so much. But is this a joke? Like, yeah. you know, I'm 30 years old now. Yeah. And he had a tear. Okay. And he said, no, he's like, I'm worried about you. He's all, you have the same ego problems I had. And he goes, so I tore out the pockets on the jacket and I Ooh. don't want you to wear it. You're I want me. you to put it in your closet to remind yourself one thing, mm -hmm. whether I'm here or not to teach you it, that you're not taking anything with you. Ooh. <laughs> oh my gosh. And there's a guy that I hated you know, wait, first of all, let me say this. Wow. When I was a little boy, I idolized my father. Me too. Teenager, hated my mm -hmm. father. Mm -hmm. Then through my 20s, started to understand him. Mm -hmm. And then in my 30s mm -hmm. and even 40s, admire him. Yeah. Right? It was what weird. a lesson. Yeah. And yeah. those are the kind of things like, and then I started defending my father because I almost became shameful that don't say anything negative right. like my siblings. Right. And, and, but I'm an illuminator, so I'm like, you know what? That is the part of him right. that you know. Right, that is their part, that's their, that's their version of him. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. 
What version of your father do you see? Well, I'm, I'm blessed. My father is literally my best friend now. My counselor, the guy I go to for the most advice, the guy who, you know, my dad and I had a really serious conversation last night about a business thing I'm going through, and I already knew within an hour I was going to get a text from my dad, <laughs> my I love you, and here's his answers, and it's really like having two different humans, and so I choose, honestly, it just serves me, and I've actually just grown. I love my dad. My dad's my best friend. And I, I'm ironic about this, but I actually think those things as a child happened for me and not to me. I really believe that. Everyone thinks that's hokey, but here's the truth. I, uh, I know you don't, because you know, <laughs> right? But uh, the truth is, if my dad weren't a drinker, he wasn't an alcoholic, he would have never been at that AA meeting, which means I'd have never gone to McKinley. And it also, had I gone to McKinley and my dad weren't a drinker, I couldn't have connected with those boys. And if I don't connect with those precious boys, I'm not sitting here right now because they altered my life. And so all those horrible things that happened as a kid seemingly prepped me for that day I walked through that door at McKinley. And you're grateful. I'm totally grateful for it. Yeah, on the other side, my uncle gave me a great uh, advice about your children. They come through you, not for you. I believe that too. And I think your dad feels that way about you. Wow. I hope he does. why you're close. Last does. question, yeah. as you know, and I, we're yeah. going to do this so many more times. Yeah, I love you, brother. We'll yeah. bore the audience to death. Like, not Eddie again. <laughs> but no, I can't help myself. Yeah. Me too. Uh, what legacy would you like to leave? That's a great question. Um, I don't care if I'm remembered. That's not important to me. But I'd like my legacy. Obviously, my children are going to be part of my legacy. But I'd like my legacy to be, and this just really sounds hokey, but I want to I wanna have made a difference in the world. And what I really want to do is I hope that I'm a small speck of contributor of elevating the consciousness of the world. That's what I want to do. I want to elevate the consciousness of the world. I want it to be a better, more loving, more grateful, more caring place because of the tiny things I did with my life that I leave it a little bit more elevated. And so I'm really clear about that too because I thought a lot about that. I, I just, like I told you, I almost passed away when I was younger from a pretty significant event. And from that time on, I'm like, what do I want my legacy to be? It doesn't matter to me. A hundred years, someone knows my name but I'd like my energy to have altered the space that it's a better place. And so that's really what my legacy should be. Well, you are on the right track. Thanks you man. are the epitome of elevating others to elevate <laughs> Thanks, yourself. Thanks, uh, my new best friend, hopefully you'll accept me. I feel like <laughs> I, I should give you. him a ring. My wife will get jealous. <laughs> but uh, I have Ed Milet here Thanks, on Entrepreneur, the my, Playbook. My pleasure.